The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his apostles, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sends me. Whoever receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives only a cup of cold water to one of these little ones to drink, because a little one is a disciple. Amen, I say to you, he will surely not lose his reward. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's begin, just first of all, a word of thanks. As many of you attended, last Thursday we celebrated a great event here in our parish life, the 25th anniversary of our former pastor, Father Blaise Berg. And we had a packed house. We had a beautiful Mass here. There was about 14 priests that came. Then directly after Mass, we had a huge reception in the hall, over 400 people attended. We packed that hall. We, we had so many reservations that we actually had to limit it. By the way, if, if I could just digress a little bit, does anyone have extra million dollars lying around? Because we need to double the size of that hall over there. We need to double that thing because the vast majority of our issues here at the parish front office and the, the secretaries will attest that we don't have enough space here. We have enough office space, we don't have enough storage space, classroom space. All of our issues are always about that hall. And if we doubled the size of that hall, oh, a lot of our problems would go away. So after Mass, please go home, check your couch cushions, and see if I have a million dollars, huh? But it was a glorious event as we celebrated Father Berg's anniversary. And thank you for all of your hard work, all of the volunteers, because you can imagine, to put on an event like that takes a lot of efforts and Wyman, of course, and all of your, your legion of volunteers, all those who donated their time and their money and their effort. I heard nothing but great things. As many of you know I, who attended, unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend on Thursday. I, I just got back on f- late Friday night. For the past week, I've been away in Billings, Montana. I was with our youth group. And the youth, by the way, I ask you again to pray for the youth. They're currently on their long drive back to California. 22 hours. Last night I checked with our youth minister, and they slept in southern Idaho. So they should be making their last leg here to California. 
So pray for them, especially for the adult chaperones. Can you imagine? Drive with tired teens. You can only stuff their faces with junk food so much before they start to rebel. And, and so they're driving each other crazy, last I heard. We were with an organization called Catholic Heart Work Camp. It's an organization that has different camps all throughout the United States. And this one was in Billings, where hundreds of teens from all over the United States came to Billings. All these Catholic youth and teens. And so how the day went was that every day they had rented out a high school, a local high school there in town, because we were sleeping in the classrooms. So the event, we woke up the the teens at 6 a.m. every morning. Mass, first thing, at 7. Always begin with the Holy Mass. And then after Mass, we all reported to our work sites at 9 a.m. And our youth group, St. Mary's, we were assigned to a community center in South Side Billings, which is the most, it is the worst, part, worst neighborhood in all that entire city. And so the youth worked from 9 a.m. all the way to 3 p.m. with manual labor, pulling weeds, you name it, painting, washing their fleet of cars. So from, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., we worked the teens. And then by 3 p.m., we all went back to the high school where the spiritual component of the camp began. Talks, uh, singing songs, testimony from other youth, you name it, all geared towards evangelizing the teens. But the highlight of that entire week was Wednesday evening. Father Jeffrey, the chaplain, took our Lord in a beautiful golden monstrance. A monstrance is that elaborate, decorated container where we put the consecrated host, our Lord Jesus, in the Eucharist. And we filed out of the gym, and behind him, following, again, were all of the hundreds of teens. And we processed out into a beautiful field. And by this point, it's around 6.30, 7 p.m. in the evening. And we placed the Lord on this makeshift altar. And all of the teens knelt in adoration. And as the teens were praying there silently, the way the, the monstrance was situated upon the altar, the sun was beginning to set in that beautiful Montana sky. They don't call that country big sky country for nothing. Hmm? The sun radiated with the brilliance of a sun, the brilliance of a sunset, that beautiful reddish color. To see a sea of teens kneeling before the Lord in adoration is powerful. We invited the teens as they were kneeling in adoration that if the Holy Spirit prompted them to go to confession. There was five of my brother priests there, myself included. We put ourselves to the side. And oh, you you should have seen the line of the teens coming. It's a huge line. Parents in here, you know those moments in your life when you feel most like a parent? 
are those moments when we provide and we give life to our children. I've never felt more like a father, a spiritual father, than I do when I hear confessions. Because here we're, we're sitting there in these, in these chairs and the teens were coming in and they're kneeling down and they're saying, Father, forgive me. Who are these teens kneeling now before me? And as they pull out their hearts of their darkest secrets and to receive them in the name of Jesus Christ and to pray the words of absolution over them to take a child of God dead in sin and to restore them back to life. Oh, my heart was burning with love for the teens. Their humility to come. And all of the sins were the same, by the way. No matter what sins they are, they're always the same. Father, here are the ways I have put something above God. That's what essentially what sin is. It is when we take something below us and we raise it above God and we put where God has supposed to be rightfully placed and we put that sin there. That's what it is. Something less than God taking the place of God. And oh, all these beautiful teens. Father, I am sorry. Oh, you feel most like a parent then. And this is precisely why Jesus comes. In this gospel today, it should have made many of us wince and, and be baffled here in the beginning of the gospel. Did you hear what the Lord said? He says something very striking. From the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, as the gospel begins, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy. To hear this, something we have to ask our Lord is, but Jesus, is there anything more natural than to love our own mother and father? There's nothing more natural than to love our own son and daughter. In fact, it is God himself who tells us in the fourth commandment to honor our mother and father. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Or in the second part, to love son or daughter. It is God himself who says to Adam and Eve, our first parents, go and multiply. In other words, go and make tons of babies. <laughs> and so what is our Lord trying to convey to us? Looking at the gospel through a Jewish lens breaks open the meaning. So the gospel of Matthew was written specifically for a Jewish audience. And so when you look at it through that lens of a Jewish person, all of a sudden it begins to come out. The gospel writer Matthew 
organizes his entire gospel into five main speeches of Jesus. So there are five huge sermons that our Lord preaches in the gospel of Matthew. And in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the first of these speeches. And it is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus on a mountain giving us a new law. And for a Jewish person, they would have immediately recognized the connection what Matthew was trying to do here. On a mountain, five major sections. They would have immediately thought of the Jewish Bible, the Torah. How many books are in the Torah? Five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. The five books of the Torah written by Moses himself. So as Matthew here was writing to a Jewish audience, five sections, five speeches of Jesus, paralleling the five books of the Torah. And the message is abundantly clear what Matthew is trying to convey. Jesus is the new Moses. What was the role of Moses? That's the question you must ask. Moses was tasked to take the Israelite people who were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, to take them and to lead them for 40 years all the way to the Promised Land. So to take a people enslaved for 430 years and to form them into God's new people to free them from slavery but here's the issue it's a lot easier to remove the shackles of a slave than to remove slavery from the heart and we see this unfold in exodus as Moses takes the Israelite people through the desert for 40 long years. How do you think the Israelite people reacted? They complained, complained, and complained. Sound familiar? God, we're hungry. God, we're thirsty. God, do this. God, do that. God, they would rather, and they make this explicitly clear, we would rather return to Egypt where we were slaves, shackled and bound, rather than to live in the freedom of God's people. Said, at least when we were slaves, we had plenty of food to eat, we had a warm place to sleep, and we weren't in danger of being chased by Pharaoh. So I'd rather be a slave because I'm comfortable. Slavery of the heart. And do you remember when Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments? And he came down the mountain. Do you remember what the Israelite people were doing? In that famous event, they had taken and molded out of their gold jewelry a golden calf and started to worship again one of the false pagan gods of their Egyptian overlords. They had returned to slavery again. Why do we do that? Because it is easier to return to our vices. 
Moses was tasked to purify them. And it took three generations to get slavery out of their hearts. Jesus, the new Moses, must do the same with us. Whoever loves father or mother, son or daughter more than me, is not worthy. You see, this is a hard teaching. Because to love mother and father, son and daughter, is a good. There's no doubt about it. But what often happens with the lower good is that we can even take what is good, love of father and mother, of son and daughter, we can even take that natural love and to put it above God himself. See, that's the hard part about this teaching. Because it's easy to say, okay, don't rob a bank. (laughs) Don't steal anybody. We all know that's wrong. And so we say we shun that. But how much harder it is to remove a secondary good. But nonetheless, if it is not God as our primary love of our life, we are not yet ready to receive the fullness of what God has in store for us. When they asked Jesus famously, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what our beautiful Lord said? He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. It's the most famous Old Testament verse. Shema Israel Adonai, Yulu Adonai Chadad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is Lord alone, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. Meaning, there is nothing above God in the heart of the disciple. And even if we replace love of God with something good, love of mother and father and children, we are still not ready. We are still bound by slavery to false loves. And here is the great Christian paradox. Whoever finds his life will lose it, quoting the gospel. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What our Lord here is saying is that when we finally put God in his rightful place in our lives, even though it is hard to live in freedom of God, and how much easier it is to return to our slavery, our old vices of our lives. No, but the Christian is called to pick up his cross and to follow the Lord. And then when we finally let go of our lies, of our pride, and of our sins, we will finally find true life. Because now God becomes the center. The center in the love of my life. And it is only then when we can finally say that will we become sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.